Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Amber, and I work on the marketing team at Wright Constable and Scheme. Our firm and I would like to thank you for joining us today as we delve into part two of our J1 Physician Immigration Webinar Series. For those of you who were able to join us for part one, Prescription for Success, we're so glad you're back to continue learning with us. In today's program, Table Talk with the Specialists, we'll get to hear from our very own Jan Peterson, as well as our very special guest, Dr. Gayathri Murthy. These two are quite the dynamic duo, and I know their combined insight will craft you with a well-equipped toolkit for your J1 journey. So let's get a bit more familiar with our presenters. Jan Peterson has been a tireless advocate for J1 physicians for over 30 years. She co-founded the International Medical Graduate Task Force in 1990, and was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award for her work on behalf of J1 Physicians. She is active in bringing your issues to the White House, to Congress, and to the executive branch, resulting in many positive changes, as well as effectively representing thousands of physicians. Dr. Murthy is a current hospitalist at MedStar, where she has been since 2019. She began work as a hospitalist in 2012, giving her almost a decade of experience working as a foreign physician in the U.S. Dr. Murthy, we are so honored to have you and your expertise with us today. Some friendly reminders as we dive in, please remain muted during the presentation to prevent any background noise. If you have questions, please go ahead and enter those into the chat box. We'll have time for a Q&A at the end of the session. Also, this presentation is being recorded and will be available on the Wright Constable and Skeen website next week. So you'll all receive an email with that link when it's available. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge each of you and your work in furthering the health of our communities and serving so heroically during the COVID-19 pandemic. Your efforts do not go unnoticed. Today, we'll begin with a brief overview of information from part one of this series. We'll then take you into a deeper look at the lesser known success secrets that will help you find, land, and excel in a waiver job, while also shining a light on the realities of the J1 physician experience. So as we get things rolling, if you did miss part one of our series, it is available now. It is streaming on YouTube. You can listen as a podcast. Um, and we also have a copy of the slides. Those are all available on our website. So whatever is most convenient for you, just head to www.wcslaw.com and head to our educational resources section and you can access it there. That's also where this presentation will be when it's done and uploaded. So with that, Jan, would you like to take it away? Yes, thank you so much, Amber, and thank you for our great team who put this together. Amber Blackman and Corey is our technical person here, me and then our honored guest, Dr. Murthy. I have to do a legal disclaimer before we begin. Nothing you hear today, I love this legal disclaimer, but I have to make it. Nothing you hear today is to be considered legal advice or to be relied on your or encouraged to consult a physician immigration expert, and hopefully we will be that expert for you. So just recapping quickly from last time, I see we have a lot of new people here uh, in our, our presentation today, including some State 30 waiver folks who wish to remain anonymous, so we will let them do so. 
So I'm going to quickly recap our last seminar, which was in August, and invite you to view it on YouTube. So we're going to go through this part quickly so that we can hear about your issues and problems. So as you know, uh, whether you can, no matter what visa you complete your residency or fellowship on, your goal at the end is the same. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which is the green card. As you all also know, if you were born in India or China, the train to reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is very, very slow, decades long at this point. We hope to have some help. So the green card requirements are the same no matter where you start. So the physicians like to think that if they do their waiver on a J1, they're driving a Volkswagen, and the H1, people who do their waiver on an H1 think they're driving a Mercedes. And the Mercedes does usually go faster, especially if I'm driving it, and they will get there faster, but you will all get there. Next slide, please. Oh, glad, I'm glad everybody's putting their specialties up. That'll help us later on. All right, what you all should already know is your J2 spouse may work with an EAD. If they haven't already gotten one, I would encourage them to do so. As you all know, J2s without a work permit generally don't have a social security card, have issues with driver's license, all kinds of other issues. So even if you're finishing in June 22, I would encourage you to get that spouse a J2 work permit, whether or not they have a current intention to use it. Also, always remember, particularly in these times where COVID has slowed down the entire waiver process, uh, that you have a 30-day grace period at the end of your training, if you're a J. In addition, you should all renew your uh, J1s to take the board exams. You're permitted by ECFMG to extend your uh, J1 to take a board exam, regardless of where you are in the waiver process, whether it's been granted, approved, pending, or denied. You never know when you need that for a backup. You may be filing your case right now or the 1st of October, and you say, okay, that's a lot of months, but we never know what slows down things at the end of the day. As you know, you have a seven-year maximum with exceptions and you will always, forever until you die, be exempt from the H-1B cap with an interested government agency waiver. That means if you finished your waiver 10 years ago and you want to go to a super for-profit hospital, no problem, that cap exemption goes with you. Okay, generally you must agree to work in a medically underserved area for three years unless you qualify for a Flex 10 waiver, which we will get into in a bit. Now, what if you hate your job after you get it? Don't forget, you all are getting jobs 10 to 12 months before you're gonna start. And we know how our world changed during COVID-19. Uh, you went in, people went in and signed in, 20, in August, 2019 to start July 1, 2020. And when they signed for the job, they said, you'll have about 15 patients a day, COVID came, you got there, and there were 30. 
and you may be unhappy. So transferring employers, we want to make sure that you have the right employer, the best employer you can find the first time around. It is traumatic to you to have to transfer during the three-year commitment because you don't know if the transfer will be approved. One must always show extenuating circumstances. Those extenuating circumstances are not well-defined by immigration. The only one that really is is if they close your practice down or your department down or your clinic down, that, that's pretty much guaranteed that you will get to transfer. Otherwise, we go through a lot of steps to prove extenuating circumstances, which is a case-by-case -case basis, um, you know, relating to what's going on at work. Okay, obviously you all know you have the requirement to go home for two years. And don't forget, if you decide after all to go home for two years, be sure you go to the right country. Okay, that sounds kind of silly, but it isn't. Um, people go to the wrong country all the time. Um, Canada being one of the countries. Um, the country you have to go home to is your country of last permanent residence as listed on your form DS-2019. Now, should you go to the wrong country for a long time, um, it's possible you could get a waiver, but um, try to go to the right country. For you, those of you from Schengen countries, in obviously in Europe, uh, you can't, the countries are not interchangeable just because they're part of the U European Union. You have to do the two years in the right country. All right, that's about your J life. Most of you should know it by now, but just to recap next. All right, you hear in your residence and fellow lounge, in the opera, hopefully not too much in the operating room, but you're all talking. And we have our J1 Facebook page and which waiver is better, which flavor of a waiver is right for you. Okay, first of all, we want to talk about uh, we're going to talk about um, the three different kinds. Uh, Conrad State 30 is the most popular one, named after Senator Conrad, who enacted the provision in 1994, um, which permits every state, territory, and possession of the United States to grant 30 waivers to physicians per year to practice any type of medicine in a medically underserved area. X and less, and throughout of those 30, a state added, each state at its discretion can get grant waivers up to 10 per year to work in a non-underserved area as long as you serve patients who reside in medically underserved areas. Now, if that's tricky, ask me more questions about it. The, the willingness of a state to use its valuable, the states consider their 30 waivers an extremely precious and valuable jewel and resource. So they get to decide who they think needs it on a priority basis and various other basis. What I would caution you to do is not read their websites literally. Some of them are actually hard for us to understand. So let's look, you wanna talk with uh, your expert physician immigration lawyer about that, or maybe even get a second opinion. Just a word about second opinions. Any professional lawyer is not going to mind if you get a second opinion. I really would never be offended. 
All right, so get your second opinions. Um, and the other things are, so you could get a flex waiver depending on what the usage of the state of their 30 waivers for underserved areas. We'll go through a state, states that do that. You can ask me, the states just put it up on the thing. All right, you have some lawyer, some physicians worry about this. Agree to commence employment within 90 days of USCIS approval of the waiver and of H-1B status. It's both things. With the waiver, that says you don't have to go home for two years, but it uh, doesn't mean much else. Uh, it doesn't give you permission to work or anything else. All right, you look for your facility located in a HIPSA or an MUA. Uh, Amber, could you put in the chat box the website for those who don't know? If you want to know whether an area where you are looking for a job is an underserved area, they're basically two lists, HIPSA and MUA. They're, they're compiled by HHS, and you just Google HIPSA find by address, and then you type in the address. And the requirement, the extra requirements, the law only says three years practicing medicine underserved area, period. Over, the, over time, the states have put on additional requirements some of which are very burdensome to employers and causing a number of employers to say, forget about it. I'm, I can't get all these statistics together. So we, as an organization, the International Medical Graduates Task Force um, encourages states to lighten their paperwork burden, um, especially when they're asking your employers health statistics they already have. All right, the Department of Health and Human Services, we totally love. They are totally the heroes of COVID-19. Um, last spring, uh, they expanded the types of employers for whom they would grant waivers. All right, so that's really good. Um, number one to remember, all federal agency waivers, HHS, ARC, DRA, VA, can issue unlimited Write that down if you remember nothing else, because every week I get calls, you mean they're unlimited? Yes, unlimited open year round. If you graduated June 30th, 2021, you can ask for a waiver right now. All right, so what they did, they're very quick, a week or two to process an HHS waiver, their paperwork light. What they did was expand their waiver coverage to include all work location with that HIPSA score, of seven or more. So um, what Amber put in the chat box, go there and it'll tell you its score. Most of your areas will be. Now, it's limited to primary care, but it does include hospitals. As many of you hospitalists know, uh, as many of you hospitalists know, uh, some states consider you subspecialists and put you down, down the list. So one caveat, primary care only, including hospitalists, but if you happen to do a one-year fellowship in, say, geriatrics or psychosomatic medicine or whatever, if it's a one-year fellowship and you can demonstrate that you will be reporting to your primary care waiver job within one year of finishing your residency, you can still have the waiver. And we've done quite a few of those um, this year. 
um, and you have to just make adjustments with your program uh, that you can leave early. So we put a July 25th start, excuse me, June 25th start date for the, for the waiver job and make sure that they get there. Uh, most all waivers require recruitment. I won't bore you with them except at your interviews to ask about it. Many agencies don't specify, many states don't specify. A lot of them talk about six months worth of recruitment. So yeah, HHS is the winner. Um, Amber, somebody said uh, the link, oh, we got the link working to find out whether your area is short. The next one is the Appalachian Regional Commission. Now the, the news, the great news, uh, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. The great news is that they will, as of October, 2018, will grant waivers for all medical specialties. Unlimited, open year round, all specialties. So what are the hitches here? It must be within the geographic area of the Appalachian region which includes portions of 13 states from the bottom states of New York to Mississippi. Uh, you can go on their website, arc.gov, and they will tell you the areas. Um, now, remember, I talked about two baskets, two lists, HIPSA, MUA, Health Professional Shortage Area, Medically Underserved Area. Both HHS and ARC will only sponsor waivers in on the HIPSA list. So keep that in mind. The Appalachian Regional Commission has a lot of extra requirements, um, but it's probably worth it to go through it if it's your dream job. Extensive recruitment, there are all kinds of other things and they tend to come up with new requirements. So don't get angry at your lawyer if your waiver there takes six months, right? So, um, or longer. So it's very good to start the ARC waiver early. So ARC, good places that, to locate them are, you know, um, a third of Pennsylvania is, is in the Appalachian Regional Commission, the Western third, lots of good jobs there with uh, UPMC and its affiliated hospitals. Um, and all of West Virginia, parts of Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, and the bottom of New York. All right, now next one, the new arrival on the scene relatively is the Delta Regional Commission. They are similar to, but much less paperwork heavy than the ARC. They're also geographic, covers over 200 counties uh, in listed there, take a picture of that. And you can also go to their website, dra.gov. They will permit employment in any type of medically underserved area, unlike HHS and the ARC. Uh, they have a $3,000 application fee, except all medical specialties. The VA we see very rarely anymore. We used to see lots. Um, but if it works for you, they take a very long time. But uh, they obviously, all VA hospitals qualify and all medical specialties. Next slide, please. Okay, I'm going to speed this up so we can hear from 
Dr. Murphy. Okay, just to summarize here, take a picture. One thing with state programs that is a problem in the federal programs are they do not allow non-compete clauses. Some states permit non-compete. Most do not. No federal program permits a non-compete clause. If you don't know what that is, I'll just tell you basically what it says is if you stop working for your waiver employer, Dr. Smith or whoever, and you love Dr. Jones across the street, and you say, okay, at three years and one day, I'm going to go work for Dr. Jones. That's what a non-compete says. You can't do that. You can't practice medicine within a certain radius of where your waiver location is for a certain number of years. A lot of states don't permit those, but that actually is an issue for employers, particularly hospital systems. I have two cases right now where we're trying to work through that. Um, they want a non-compete and it's not permitted. Okay, so um, one correction there, the ARC just eliminated its filing fee of $3,000. All right, so that summarizes that. Uh, as I said, our slides will always be available to you. Uh, so here's a chart on your flow chart. Okay, you're completing your training, consult a physician, immigration attorney at that point. At the spring of your last year, like if you're ready next year, you should, now's a really good time if you haven't done it before. Is it, okay, so you look for the waiver, you look for the qualifying job. In case it wasn't clear, all waivers must be sponsored by an employer. All right, then you want to have a contract attorney review your job offer and waiver eligibility. Um, there are usually two different attorneys. Uh, for example, uh, keep in mind that uh, the immigration attorney co-represents the physician and the employer. So we review your employment contract for compliance with the immigration laws, J-1 waiver, H-1B, green card, et cetera. Um, because we represent both of you, we can't say, you know, they need $200,000 more or the deal's off. That's for a contract attorney to do. Okay, so the contract attorney reviews the job offer, obtains the DOS case number that we do that for our clients, most attorneys do. Then you submit the J-1 waiver application to the waiver agency. Waiver agency approves waiver, sends it to the Department of State. Now, a big change from last year to this year is the processing time at the Department of State Waiver Review Divisions that has gotten extremely lengthy. There's no good reason for it. Um, we've been working as an organization to get them to figure out something. I call it my scan project. I said, why can't you guys figure out how to scan this? I had an associate attorney who figured out how the files could be shrunk. And still, it's taken longer than ever this year. We have people who were supposed to start July 1st. And if any of you or your friends are in this situation, don't get hysterical. And they don't have their waivers out of the State Department yet. All right, so four to 16 weeks for the State Department. The State 30 programs have very different protocols 
for um, deciding waivers. Some do them as they come in. We'll answer those questions for the states that were asked. Okay, then it goes to the USCIS. Then USCIS approves the waiver right now. They're taking four to six weeks. They also had somewhat of a slowdown this year. As soon as the State Department forwards, this is important to remember because if some of you end up with attorneys who aren't experienced in this and primarily work for the hospital in-house, um, this happens a lot. State Department forwards a recommendation to USCIS. When your approval shows up on the Department of State website, um, once you get your DOS case number, you can check the status of your case on their website. And we'll put that in the chat box for you. Um, you can file your H-1B petition. And then the H-1, uh, the USCIS will coordinate with the Vermont Service Center. So all interested government agency waivers, state 30 and federal, all go from the State Department scan to the Vermont Service Centers. However, you will notice that um, they don't often talk to each other and you might get an RFE. And your change of status is, is um, approved and you can start work. You can file premium processing. Um, depends on when your waiver is filed. Um, you know, if it's two or three months before you need to start work, I wouldn't waste $2,500 for premium processing. Um, but you can upgrade to premium processing if, uh, you know, say 20 days before you start work if you don't have an approval. But they have raised the premium, premium, premium processing uh, fees. Okay, we're going to get to your questions at the end here. Um, now I want to turn it over to the wonderful Dr. Gayathri Murthy. Um, she is a mentor to other J1, has been a mentor, gives some advice, and she's going to tell you on the ground her experiences. So, Gay, let me turn it over to you. Finding a waiver job. Um, just a couple of, couple of uh, interesting points from me. Never pay a recruiter, that is physician, never pay a recruiter and beware of recruiters who guarantee a placement. You also know far more than most recruiters about the process, so and more than many lawyers know. So you need to educate your recruiter as you likely know more about the waiver world than they do. I heard just yesterday an attorney was telling a hospital he didn't want to do HHS waivers, and. Uh, I told the hospital, I said, well, there's no reason not to. They said they take too long. I said, they don't take long. They take a week. So um, those, with those tips, um, we will go to, um, hey, the journey to a waiver job. Um, thank you so much, Jen. Um, firstly, I, I wish I had met you when I got started on my waiver journey. It was not easy, um, but it's doable. Um, so I can speak with regard to the Conrad 30 waiver program. And um, since I'm a hospitalist and that's the only job role that I have um, filled so far, um, it would be relevant um, there. Um, so the, the website that Amber sent out was the one that I started with. Um, I started two years before graduation 
And I looked at the entire list in every state and I wrote out individually to each and every state and each and every facility that I thought offered a Conrad 30 waiver position. I had my CV ready and um, you know, I, I waited for responses. It didn't always happen. And the, the well, one thing, if you do, if you choose not to get a lawyer, um, make sure you're ready to advocate for yourself. Follow up with phone calls, give them a week to rest and then follow it up again. Um, so once I had uh, people who were willing to speak with me, then it was, um, you know, the question of getting ready for the interview and getting your uh, references in order. Um, a couple of things, and I think this will come on a slide later, um, you know, in retrospect, because hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, I wasn't allowed to speak with um, members of the team of the hospital that I was going to join. So I didn't really know um, what the job would entail. I started as an nocturnist. I covered the entire you know, hospital, all the floors, admissions, ICU. I did procedures in the ICU and none of this was told to me. Um, so like I said, I wasn't allowed to speak with everyone. And that I think you should do, when you do your legwork, ask if you can speak with other members of the team. Um, one other difference, I think, from what Jan mentioned um, with regard to the Conrad 30, when I applied, you had to have a spot on the state and you had to have a job and the both of them had to line up. Um, so thankfully, that's been made um, illegal now. Um, another thing that we should probably touch on is your salary. There isn't supposed to be a discrimination. Um, a lot of employers have tried to lowball us over the years, you know, because they're like, oh, we're doing you a favor. We're sponsoring your H-1B for the J-1 waiver. Um, so it is my understanding that we should be paid as much as an American graduate. So make sure that you advocate for yourself with that. Um, and then um, I guess a, a couple of things to look for in each program. If people are there just to do their waiver and then hightail it out of there, it's probably not a good place to work long-term. Um, as you know, you know, if there's like a high turnover rate, then it's probably not the best place to work in. So keep that in the back of your mind. It, it, there will come a point when you're kind of um, scared and desperate and you might pick a program. But like Jan said, it's very difficult to prove extenuating circumstances and transfer out, but also be given credit for the time served. And I, and I say that because, you know, a waiver job is really hard. It's um, physically exhausting. It, it, it is not like, oh, you know, it's 5 p.m. I'm done for the day. You will be expected to go above and beyond. Uh, most times you might just be the only clinician there. Um, so just be prepared for hard work is what I would say. Um, what else should I, uh, what else that's um, important? Does anybody um, have any suggestions or something that I should speak about? Oh, for Indians, um, since we have the longest wait time, um, think in terms of a five-year commitment because of the Physician's National Interest Waiver, which gives you autonomy over your own green card sponsorship. Um, I can't tell you how many people I have spoken with and my own personal experience where we're always threatened. You know, if you threaten to leave, not if you threaten to leave, but you go to somebody and say, hey, you know, I, I think it's time for me to move on. Your employer will always say, you know, we have your green card um, and we will withdraw sponsorship if you leave. And that's a 
okay if you have the five years, especially if you're from a country like India, where you know you spend half your life waiting for a green card um, or, or for the I-485 to this uh, status change. Um, anything else that might be uh, pertinent to um, the J-1 waiver job from a hospitalist perspective? Jen, do you um, think I should speak yes, about anything uh, we else? we have one question. Uh, go up to this one. Mm -hmm. The PNW. Okay. One down. Somebody asked, okay, so you mentioned the PNIW, mm -hmm. and that is going to be covered in more detail in our next session. The question is, can you leave after three years if you have a five-year contract with the PNIW? That is a legal question. The, abs the answer is absolutely yes. Your PNI, people have become very fearful of PNIW contracts, okay? They believe that they're now going to have a five-year prison sentence. And by the way, you all have to stop looking at this as a three- or five-year prison sentence. I'll give you some tips on that. Um, yes, you may. What the law says about a PNIW, and it's recommended for people at this time born in India or China because of the long wait for the traditional green card through PERM employment, leave it there, leave it there, please. Um, certification. So you have to work a total of five years in medically underserved areas in order to fulfill the requirements of the PNIW. And that's five years full time, doesn't have to be the waiver area. If you do your three years in a medically underserved area, that counts towards your five. So if you're born in India or China, what that gets you is one, not an immediate green card, but the mere filing of the PNIW and the approval, of course, assumed approval, puts you in the green card line from the date you file it. You are in the line. And what happens after five years is you fulfill the requirements for that green card. You have fulfilled the ticket for the admission to the club of green card holders. You just have to wait until your turn in that many year line comes. So after three years, you can leave as if as any American would leave, give the required notice under your contract. Um, what we are doing with contracts right now, and I'll say this quickly, um, is um, in your three year contract, you say, hey, employer, I want a PNIW. Um, so could you make this for five years, but delete the J-1 clauses, in other words, sort of like a renegotiation after three. But you may do it with multiple employers, number one. Number two, a common question we get is you may do it, uh, you may interrupt it. You have until you die to do your five years, okay? So if you want to interrupt you do three years, say, as a hospitalist, you get a fellowship, not in a medically underserved area. Um, and you, then you go back to an underserved area as a cardiologist, for example, that time counts. So the interruptions are not a problem. Um, so you basically have forever. I wouldn't worry about that. And all underserved areas count the two lists, the MUA, medically underserved area, and MUP. So those are very common questions. Um, any other PNIW questions in the chat box? 
A couple of things uh, that I have heard from employers. I interviewed a number of physician employers yesterday. It's very nice ones. Um, resume tips. Okay, we had a lot of debate about this. And the question is, should you put your photo on the resume? I would add, yes. The answer is yes. Keep your resume to one page or two at the most. If it's not an academic job, omit foreign languages usually unless foreign language is one spoken in the community such as Spanish or Portuguese in some parts of Massachusetts and Creole in uh, Miami. Okay, so they don't wanna know how many language. So the vote, I took my unscientific, totally unscientific, uh, I talked to three employers. They will remember you, make sure it's a nice picture. Uh, I also would suggest you polish your social media pages. Um, yeah, not a doctor, but we did. We always look at our clients' social media pages um, to make sure that they don't have anything that might harm their job. Uh, also recommend and do not put salary or waiver demands on resume or discuss prior to your in-person or Zoom person interview. Always note on your resume, special interests within your specialty, particularly hot topics. You all know that hot topics better than I do. List hobbies and special interests. Um, one I have always given for people going to rural areas, could it applies in the cities too, but more so there. Um, the CEO may play golf or tennis. So you see, oh, okay, you play golf or tennis, you may want to polish up on your golf or tennis screen. And if it comes down to the wire, the CEO may want a golf or tennis partner. Okay, those are things to endear you. Uh, how do you get the interview? So I can say that I've gotten a few resumes from clients um, with their photos, and I've always remembered. Not that I don't remember all of you, but they stand out particularly. Okay, getting the all-important interview. Jay, uh, Dr. Murphy, have a colleague recommend you send this. You always forget. If anybody's done this, raise your can they raise their mechanical hand, Amber? Where are my mechanical hands? Okay. Um, have a colleague recommend you. This is the really important thing that is forgotten in today's world of technology. Send a follow-up handwritten personal note after you send your resume expressing a personal interest and after your interview, if you get it. They have a pile of resumes and the assistant, you want to send it to the assistant, the first one, and, and the second one to everybody. See that thing there in the bottom right-hand corner? That's actually a handwritten thank you note. Doesn't have to be complicated. And you actually have to put a postage stamp on it. That may seem silly, but we, yeah. Some people don't know that those things require postage stamp. Okay, and respond promptly to follow-up communications from the prospective employer so they will know your continued interest. You may have multiple jobs you're choosing from, but employers say, I say, are we ready to go with these waivers, particularly October waivers? And they say, we're waiting to hear from them. So even if you're, and it's not, 
it's not a deal killer to say you're looking at another job and people tend to think that, oh my God, if they know I have another job offer, they'll blow me off. No, it, it actually shows you're more desirable. You know, it's like if you're at a dance or something and 10 guys ask me to dance, I feel better than if only one does, right? All right, so moving along to the land. Don't forget those notes, please. If you remember, that's the second thing, don't forget. Okay, I love uh, Dr. Murthy's red flags. I have a couple more to add. Um, spouse, okay, we're, we're on 17. 17, okay, um, deal killers. Okay, these are, um, remember I've been doing this since 1987, representing physicians and their employers. This is what they tell me. Uh, if the spouse follows up on job interviews for physician. Now you may think it sounds really normal and it is, you know, the, the physician spouse is at work 80, 90, 100 uh, hours a week and maybe the spouse has a flexible schedule. That resume I'm told universally goes in the garbage can when the spouse follows up. Okay, at your job interview, um, talking about work-life balance questions, um, yeah, um, work-life balance, keep that to yourself. They know you want work-life balance and they try to give it to you to the extent possible in most cases, although Gay is gonna say she had slave driver employers. Uh, not living in a community. Uh, not living in the community is an issue. It means you lack commitment and it's really important that you integrate in the community. So you say, maybe my spouse works in Boston and my job is in, I don't know, Worcester, Massachusetts or something, and we're gonna live between. That's a deal killer. Okay. Not living in the community. Uh, any of those things may mean your resume is trashed. Well, obviously there's some obvious ones, but people have told me very silly people that like the second or third question is, uh, how many days vacation do I get a year? All right, so getting to yes, dress professionally, suit and tie for men, skirt suit for women. Uh, and I just learned this yesterday from an employer. I would have thought it would have been impressive, but don't wear your scrubs or white coat to interview. Um, do what I said, uh, you know. Uh, so everybody should do due diligence on their contract terms because you're going to be married to each other for three something years. Uh, due diligence. Uh, Gay, can you give me some ideas? So some people feel hesitant to say, can I talk to your doctors? Can I uh, interview? So if the employer is not forthcoming, uh, what are some other ways that you can find out about the work culture uh, whether the employer is a good employer, um, you know, some ways on the, um, you can call your friends there. Well, if you, if you're coming from out of state, then that might be difficult. Um, but, but what, um, I did when I interviewed out of state was I, I called the, the program or like the, the secretary mm -hmm. and I asked her for just random numbers. And I said, I wanted to see how things would be. Um, and the first person I called was the person whose job I was going to take over. 
prospectively. I didn't end up taking the job. And then, you know, all of her reasons for leaving and, and there you have your decision, it's easier. You, you can always ask the, the I, I guess the, the person in charge, like a coordinator for um, numbers or contact information, especially if you're interviewing, if the job, uh, if the boss that you're supposed to interview with says, no, you can't speak with anyone. It's just a, um, an indirect route to getting what you want. Um, that, that was the main thing. And then the second was, of course, um, showing, you know, potential ties uh, to the, the community. Um, and then those are two of the main things that strike out at me, jump out at me, I'm sorry. Well, what I would recommend- But go around. The workarounds, right? When obviously if the person's still employed by you and by the employer and hasn't given their notice, it sounds like the person gay got the true story from was leaving and didn't care, but people who are still employed there and have a ways to go may be quite afraid to be forthcoming with you. If you're in a small town and area, what I suggest is that you go into the local diner where the local people eat breakfast, especially the guys. You would be amazed when you could, you, you would be totally amazed what you learn. Um, first of all, they'll ask who you are and don't be, you know, we're all from cities and what do you want to know for, right? <laughs> Why do you want to know where I'm from? That's New York. Uh, so they'll ask who you're from. You say, oh, I'm looking at the hospital. You will find out so much. I say, oh, I heard they're selling the hospital next month to whatever, or 12 doctors. Have. You would be amazed what you learned. So um, a couple of things that to impress them at your interview is ask to meet a bunch of people. You want to meet the medical staff. You want to meet the medical, uh, you know, the staff, the doctors, the administrators, um, and see what's going on. You ask for a real estate agent. I want to meet a real estate agent. They love it. A lot of really good employers actually include that with your your visit. Uh, real estate civic leaders, the mayor. I mean, you know, you're you're. Somehow, you know, foreign medical graduates become sort of accustomed to, sadly, some very real discrimination throughout their journey, medical journey in the U.S. And what you need to know is they are just pleased to have a new doctor in small towns. They said it's the mayor loves it. Oh, my God, we're getting another doctor. It's bragging rights. They love it. They're proud of you. So change your thinking to go to where they really need you, will appreciate you, and that usually comes with paying you well and doing articles about your arrival. You are a big shot in the town in a life where you've been accustomed to getting leftover residencies, leftover fellowships, leftover this, leftover that. So don't go where your cousin Benny lives, please. Oh, my cousin Benny lives there. I want to be there. You tell the employer, my cousin Benny, okay, I got to go there. Nope. Cousin Vinny isn't going to pay your rent and renew your thing and give you amazing salaries. Go where they need you and want you. And then you bring your friends there when you find out what it is. So no, no asking the salary and benefits before the interview. That's a turnoff. Avoid midnight fly-ins. I don't get to see mechanical hands. A midnight fly-in, what is it? 
It's where the doctor says, come in on a Friday night for the interview and you can leave and go back home on Saturday, which is somehow attractive to very busy residents and fellows. Don't do it. They're probably hiding something. The staff isn't there, you know, this, that, and the isn't there. Always bring your spouse to the interview. Okay, if you have anything to add here, just jump in. Ask about employment opportunities for spouse. People are really shy about that. Don't, because they know they're not dumb. They, they you know, ask about employment opportunities for a spouse. You're more likely to stay if your spouse is happy. So we already went to ask and meet and greet everybody, research your employee, ask about green card policies. Not as your first question, but as the last question. One more thing, you get to your dream job. Um, last slide there. The dream job, how to keep the job. Okay, how do people screw up? Um, someday, some weeks I figure I'm operating a home for battered doctors. People are losing jobs. Uh, it's seeming anecdotally at a higher rate than they used to. Um, so some simple rules, and I have other things that I'll send out to you. I have 10 rules, and if you follow five of them, you'll have great experience and won't lose your job. First thing, in a small community, you go pay your respects to the old doctors, okay? Personal visits are great. Make an appointment. Say, I want to introduce myself. I'm the new guy in town, which takes the edge off them seeing you as a threat. Can't say it'll always eliminate it. Avoid the smart and the young doctor syndrome, particularly in small areas. That's where you come in and see things that aren't what you learn and you know to be a problem. Uh, what do you do? You speak up and say, hey, you guys are doing that wrong. 60-year-old Dr. Welby says, that we've been doing that way for 30 years, young, and you can get out of town if you don't like it. So you don't want to make enemies, but you definitely want to buy in. So now we are going to have answer as many questions as we can. Um, there's me. Actually, there's two me's. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, we welcome consultations. We are available to speak to groups uh, in your residency programs, your uh, medical associations, um, whatever. So let's get through as many questions. And Gay, you jump in here. Please don't be shy. Okay, I love the first, is that the first question? Okay, uh, does your priority date remain current if you change jobs? Absolutely. Next question. Can the employer apply for PNIW straight after the three years of PNIW? Great question. Uh, first of all, on a PNIW, it's a Physician National Interest Waiver Immigrant Second Preference Petition. It is a self-petition. You are petitioning for yourself. However, because you've got to show a five-year contractual commitment, there's somehow an attachment to an employee, but you are the petitioner. You can apply for your five-year. Okay, so the employer can start the PNIW before you start to work there. Uh, if you don't get a waiver this year because of the competition for the state 30 waivers, and you're not born in India or China, you can file a physician national interest petition and get work permits for you and your spouse. When is the best time to start green card application at the earliest possible moment? 
Next question. Which address will be used for HIPSA MUA score when a job has several outreach clinic sites? If you are actually talking about a federally qualified health center, first of all, they have a HIPSA score, not MUA. And the address to be used uh, will be the actual clinic sites. And if you're speaking, if that person wants to tell me about whether they're talking, first of all, it doesn't apply to HHS waivers. So you're only talking really state 30 waivers there. So it doesn't generally matter that much, but it depends on the structure of the organization. But if you're working in five different places, you want to check the scores of five different, the five different places. Next one. During a three to five year residency program, when can we start the whole of looking for a waiver job? I as Gay, uh, Dr. Murphy said, um, immediately. Uh, immediately, <laughs> two, year, two years ahead of time. But of course, employers aren't going to sign you. So, you know, and so basically, you want to start immediately. No panics, no panics for this year. There are some states that are open. Another thing I want to point out to everybody is that you have to speak to your physician immigration lawyer. Don't believe everything on the website. So we've gone over and over with our clients. If they say the application period goes from October 1 to October 31, and that is a cycle, an application period. Your application will be considered the same whether it's uh, whether you file October 1st or October 31st. Some states are on a rolling basis, and that's different. Yeah, are waiver jobs harder to get for subspecialists? Historically, yes, uh, only because some states prefer waivers. I prefer primary give preference to primary care. Um, and most websites will tell you that. However, don't take that to heart and say, okay, I can't apply because they prefer primary care. What State 30 uh, officials have told me in recent years is that the demand for primary care waivers has gone down. Therefore, there is more room for subspecialists. And as I said, HHS has opened a hospital list, so there can be anticipated to be far more waivers available through the State 30 program because the hospitalists are being diverted to HHS in many cases. Next question. How soon do you recommend we start looking? Oh, my goodness. I just started my two-year fellowship uh, next spring. Is doing J-1 waiver mandatory after the PNIW? Oh, boy, that person needs more information. Okay, so I think there's some confusion there. Your J-1 waiver and your PNIW can be filed the same day. The PNIW can be filed before you get a J-1 waiver. What if you're on an H? Then you never need a J-1 waiver. So you do have to do your three years of J-1 service if you're subject to that. So then you go on. Okay, next question. What are the important questions to ask the employer while interviewing for an HHS waiver job at an FQHC? Well, I don't really know. They're pretty secure jobs. You know, the conditions under which you can be sued for malpractice are limited by federal law. I'm not sure what that person means if they can elaborate on it. I guess you say how many patients you will see. 
uh, the salary, the number of patients, the kind of help, the complaints that I got last year during COVID, they were hired before COVID in August of 2019 to start work in July and they found their patient loads were overwhelming and they didn't have the help they were promised. And they wanted to leave. Uh, of course, nobody counted on COVID. And so I think you wanna ask about staffing. That's a complaint I hear an awful lot is uh, they don't have PAs, uh, all the stuff they're supposed to have. Next one, when should a family member of a J1 physician in the home country start their own green card process? I'm not sure what that means. Uh, the J2 and the J1 have to either go home for two years or the J2 needs to be covered by the J1 waiver, which they generally are. Um, they can, in certain circumstances, leapfrog over the J1. The J2 can leapfrog over the J1 if they, in, in certain circumstances. Two that come to mind are divorce, death. The divorce from or the death of the J1 physician, the J2 can get their own waiver. If the J2 turns 21 and is single, yes. All right, uh, next. We're running a little over. It's because I, I, this is my favorite subject. You can feel free to email your questions for me. Okay, here we go. Next question, can you please comment on the above mentioned specialties regarding a waiver? Infectious disease, hard to find. Cardiology, easy to find. Pathology, hard to find. Endocrinology, pretty much in very high demand since COVID. Radiology, not a problem. Orthopedics, not a problem. Neurology, uh, not a problem. Neuro-ophthalmology, uh, a little more difficult. We are doing several now. Uh, if that person wants to email me, I can find out if our employer is still looking. Pulmonary and critical care is super, super high demand. Can spouse of J-1 waiver work? Absolutely, but they need a J-2 work permit and they need to file the necessary paperwork, which isn't too difficult, they need to file the I-765. Next question, safe time, to, oh, I love this question. Oh yeah, we didn't cover travel. Do not travel, period, the end, until you get your H-1. So this question says, can you elaborate the safe time for travel back home during waiver process? Um, this person, you know, it depends on what country you're from. You've got a lot of issues. Um, just really don't do it. You're taking a chance of not being able to get an emergency appointment because they don't feel sorry for you. We've had people that go on optional trips and the consular posts say, well, why should we give you an appointment? You're on an optional trip. There are people here that are trying to get there the first time. And, uh, you know, if you're from India, it's very dangerous because the consul could be in a bad mood and say, we don't believe you're ever coming back. So you started a J-1 waiver or you want a J-1 waiver uh, and they can deny you and destroy your career. So just don't do it. Next question, is it worth filing for Conrad 30 as a radiology specialist in Ohio? Yes, Ohio is a very paperwork heavy state. Frankly, just not a, not a J-1 friendly state if you can find a job somewhere else. Next question, if we have to change jobs during the waiver period, does a new job have to be in the same state? Absolutely not. For a green card application, you say as soon as possible. When is possible to start? 
one or two years after starting the waiver? And when can spouse obtain the green card? Okay, that gets a little complicated. If you're filing through the PERM waiver certification, it can be started as soon as the employer agrees, even before you start the, the job. If it's a PNIW, again, you have to get a five-year contract. You should note that many states will honor times. If you're an H1, I don't know if we have any H1s today, but you all have H1 friends, I'm sure. Many states will permit you to count time in residency and fellowship programs working in other than J status that can count toward your five years. So we have a lot of doctors who've done their training on H1 and uh, they're done with their PNIW waiver commitment before they finish their residency fellowship. Does an approved I-140 decrease chances of future J-1 visa or waiver? It depends on what country you're from. An approved I-140 doesn't impact your ability to extend your J-1 status in the United States. But when you go out and have to go to a consular office or even go to a, a country that would allow you to apply by Dropbox or mail, Good to consult with an attorney on that. Next question. Boy, you got you all have a lot of questions. Let me, if you don't mind running over a bit, Amber, I'll do them as fast as I can and then we'll answer others by email. Do I start applying for a job during my first year of residency or third or fifth year of residency? Gay, what's your answer there? As soon as possible. It really hasn't changed because you have to start looking and then you you have to do your research. So start looking as soon as possible. Start after year one when you're more comfortable, is what I would say. But if it's a five-year residency, probably nobody's going to be interested in till the end of your third um, year. Then at least two years prior to is what I would suggest, prior to completion. Just so you have all of your ducks in a row. You have to be Don't able to do, do all research. the talking you here, talk to a lawyer. Okay. Uh, well, well, some of them are legal questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I can't answer that. I love this yet. question. My partner and I are both J1 physicians. Is there anything like a couples process regarding looking for a waiver job? There are many answers. I would say. What would you say? No, I would just say if you're both, you know, specialty and if somebody has a vacancy for both of you, then you're set. I, that's how I would approach it. Um, anesthesia and orthopedics. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay, great. <laughs> That's great. Um, the other thing is you've got a couple of things. Obviously, there's no couples process formally, but there is informally, for example. So um, sometimes it's a plus, sometimes it's a minus. Some communities, this is anecdotal anecdotes I get from employers that they don't want to hire couples because if one couple is unhappy, then they lose two doctors, not one. But you're in a situation where you want to look for waiver jobs together. You want to decide which of your specialties is more in demand. And if they really want one of you, they will go out of their way to find a position for the one in less demand. Uh, next question, can a J-1 physician obtain a green card via their spouse? When can they apply? Yes, they, they may. Uh, I need to know whether the spouse is a citizen or LPR. Answer, yes. 
and they can apply after three years. Um, we did not go into hardship and persecution waivers. That will be in, in our next session. Next question. Uh, now another FQHC questions. If, if that's you, what you like, they're stable jobs. The government usually doesn't end their funding because they are government funded. Next question. Oh, guys, you're killing me. At J2, can J2 at the end of spouse on J1 fellowship get H1 while J1 holder goes for waiver? That's a question of timing. The J2 can't get an H4 or an H1 until the J1 gets the waiver. I hope I answered that. If I didn't, let me know. Can parents and siblings be considered dependents? Are we allowed to sponsor a visa or a green card for them to come to the USA? Complicated question beyond the scope. Uh, there are certain circumstances where parents can be allowed to live with the J1 on J1 or H1. They have to be dependent. It's more beyond our scope here. Anesthesiology, easy to find a waiver. Gay, okay, what do you know about that? I, I have a, a couple who've been offered for next year. Um, what's the job market like for anesthesia? So it depends if it's, um, well, it varies because community hospitals are okay. always in, it's always necessary. Plus they're sort of like the backup for the ICU, especially for intubations. So it shouldn't be a problem. But again, um, like you mentioned, you know, showing ties to the community or moving there with a plan to stay for a little bit really does help. So you're saying community hospitals? Did you say community hospitals? At least a couple that I interviewed in, they need, they're sort of like the backup for the intensivists with regard to procedures. So, uh -huh. you know, they have a certain skill set that they bring. And if they're in-house for other operations or anything else, then they'll be, you know, they could drop an A-line. They could do an intubation on someone who is difficult to intubate. So, yeah, I think they will be an asset to an institution. They just have to ask. So during the time of the surge in COVID hospitalizations, would the demand be higher for anesthesiologists? Definitely. Definitely. Okay, because they possess go. a skill set that all of us don't. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, next question. Is it difficult to get a green card as a Mexican? Absolutely not. If you speak Spanish, which I assume you do, the job, everybody wants you. I mean, you think, okay, in Washington State, why do they want a Spanish-speaking doctor? And they desperately need Spanish-speaking doctors in just about every place. So you're at the top of the pile for everything in terms of the state 30 Spanish-speaking. They may not say it specifically, but that's what happens. Next question. Somebody's worried about have to leave. And would you all stop having to worry about leaving? Okay, if you have a job and it's behind in the processing, there are still workarounds, there are still things this year, the delays at the State Department are so bad is that we're filing H-1 petitions and changes status with only part of the waiver process done. And it appears, can't guarantee that USCIS is understanding. And I've had discussions with the supervisors at USCIS, I said, look, State Department is 16 weeks, whereas they were three to four last year, and we have to file something or they have to leave. You will get an RFE. So if you reach the 30-day grace period and you haven't extended for your boards, do you have to leave the U.S.? Okay, so that's a very personal and case-specific question. 
No, do I have a list of J1 friendly states? Uh, my favorite ones, can I have my list? Uh, my favorite ones, uh, can so that person put in the chat box their favorite, what, what they care about? I can put least friendly and, you know, least friendly, North Carolina, North Carolina, Mississippi, actually I hear it's improved, Ohio, Pennsylvania. I mean, you need to ask me, you know, and, and when you're making a decision, New York is not an unfriendly states for waivers. They just get twice as many waivers, you know, close to 60 waivers. So, and you don't find out the results to, until April. So they're great people. It's just their system. The other news I wanted to be sure to share is that Florida is no longer on the lottery system. If you're looking at a Florida job, they have an application period. Can we travel after the waiver is approved on H-1B? Well, you have to get the H-1B visa stamp at a consulate. Anesthesia and orthopedics, great. Somebody asked about the covenant not to compete. It just says, I'm Dr. X and you work for me in Washington, DC. If you ever stop working for me, you can't practice medicine within a 10 mile radius of Washington, DC for three years. So they kick you out of the community. The waiver programs are trying to recruit and retain you and they don't like those. Yes, we do contract review. If you're in orthopedics, yes, we have an orthopedic surgeon here. Congratulations. Yes, you may apply through contract date, state 30, except California. You may not apply through HHS. You may apply through ARC. You may apply through Delta Regions. No problems. How competitive is Michigan? Pretty competitive. I have lots of experience with waivers in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. never uses up close to its waivers. So they welcome waiver applications. Nebraska welcomes. Uh, all kinds of state welcome them when they don't use up their 30 waivers. At this point, my, I'm told we've got to stop. Um, if you have any other questions, please feel free to email me. HHS hospitalist position with hips and nine, you're good to go. And if your lawyer tries to tell you you can't have an AJ1 waiver, an HHS waiver, tell them you can. Thank all of you for participating today. I hope you've gained valuable information. We'd be happy to have consultations with you. Uh, and we would be happy to represent you in your waivers. And we will be having a waiver seminar again next month, which we will announce. And thank you all for attending and thank you for your heroic work on the front lines of COVID-19. And thank you for attending. Love you all, have a great day. And let me know if I, I can do better next time and what I didn't cover and what you wanna hear next time. We wanna hear from you. This seminar is for you. Thank you and goodbye.